1: With just about every local business shut down, this seems like a terrible time to invest in commercial real estate. And with more than 10 million people filing for unemployment in just the past two weeks, collecting rent from residential properties doesn't seem to be much better. Today, we're looking at real estate investments that should not only survive, but actually thrive, even though we're all stuck at home. This is Dumb Money Live with Chris Camillo, Dave Hansen, and Jordan McLean, streaming live on YouTube. We are Dumb Money. Hey there, Dave here, along with Chris and Jordan. Welcome to Dumb Money Live. The Dow is up over a thousand points, so it's just your typical Monday morning. Welcome. I haven't left the house for 22 days now, other than to walk the dog. I'm actually getting really used to this routine. How about you guys?
2: You know I love it, Dave. I can stay here all year. I don't need to go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Except I, I miss our barbecue lunches. That's it. That's the only thing I miss. I know
1: it's it's good that we get to at least see each other twice a week on this live stream with everyone else. Um, it's great.
2: Well, that's, that's about it. Oh man, what a morning, man! Uh, did it's <laughs> did you do Okay, so my question to you guys is: What have you done? In your account over the, have you made any major shifts over the weekend going into this morning?
1: I did any- not make any shifts going into the weekend. Uh, I was still basically market <laughs> neutral, slightly more long than short, um, and I did not make any changes this morning with the market opening up big. So I'm. Uh, Let's see how my account is actually doing. I am uh, up zero point one one percent today. Ooh, that, that, hurt,
2: that hurts <laughs> a little bit.
1: That, that hurts on a day when when everything is up five percent.
2: Um, I I you know let's remember last week in our last show. I think it's really important to remind all of our viewers that everything we do has to have structure to it, and you have to prepare your mind to understand what you're trading. You know, we discussed the three drivers of the stock market right now are oil. Um, The length of time that this quarantine or work from home is going to last. And lastly, the unemployment numbers or the level of business closures. So everything that we do, we're trying to kind of narrow them down into one of those three drivers. And are each of those drivers improving or getting worse? And I think last...
1: Yeah, over the weekend, it seems like those...
2: They definitely improved over the weekend, right? So at least two of the three. It looks like we had some major positive news on oil. An oil deal looks like it might be getting done um, between Saudi Arabia and Russia, maybe even today, tomorrow. So we'll see when those talks happen. Uh, It looks also like the situation in terms of how long this quarantining stay at home, I, I don't know if this is true or not, but I think the perception that the White House is putting out there that people for right or wrong or accepting is that it got slightly better over the weekend. New York, Jordan, you've been looking at New York. I think New York
1: is where we saw like a a shift in sentiment on how how long this might last.
3: You got some fishy numbers though, right? Because so like on Saturday you had Louisiana have a 2000 person increase and then Sunday was 500. I know that we saw this happen last weekend too, where the Sunday numbers were better than the Saturday and Friday numbers. Um, and so this could just be, you know, a random reporting glitch that happens on Sundays as opposed to, you know, the rest of the work week. You and
1: know, didn't the governor come out and say that he's starting to see the, you know, or was he just basically reporting these glitchy numbers when he was saying that the mortality rate is seems to be going down slightly I would trust New York.
3: York more than I trust some of the other places. I think they're pretty in tune with what they've got going on. I think they're a little bit further ahead in the crisis. Than most states, right? They're pretty far ahead, and so is Washington. So is California. So they're kind of the, you know, the trends to watch. Um, for the up and comers like Michigan and Louisiana are the ones that you know are a few days behind. Um, so,
2: so <laughs> no, I, I, Jordan, I agree with you. I'm not quite there yet, but at the same time, the numbers that are available to the market are yep. looking slightly better slightly decelerating. And that's really all that we need to see. We know that this market wants to go higher. And if you feed it with new negative news every day, it will, I believe, drift higher in the absence of negative news. So I woke up at 6 a.m. And the second I learned something new about TD Ameritrade, I thought TD Ameritrade was broken the past few times. I tried to trade at 3 in the the morning Dallas time, which would be 4 a.m. Eastern, which is when pre-market opens up. It wasn't broken. It just... It, they just don't allow you to trade until 7 a.m. Eastern on TD. Webull and a couple of the others allow you to trade at 4 a.m. ET. When we did our brokerage comparison episode, guys, yeah, we, didn't we didn't know that. That, that. That's another slight advantage that people have. Like Webull, I got to give them credit, man. I would love to be able to trade at 4 a.m. So I woke up at 6 and I took 10 of the 15,000 shares that I was short the the, uh, the SPY as a hedge. I took those off the table, so I took most of my hedge off the t- table. I still have a few short positions, like Cisco, um, a couple others I put on. We'll talk about in the show later, like American Airlines.
1: But and Chris, when you did that though, when you were when you were trading these pre-market, uh, was what was the price like? Was that was it so already up five percent when you did that?
2: So uh, the SPY was down, uh, was up, excuse me, nine points uh, when I did that this morning. And right now the SPY is up, what, 12.6 points. Um, You know, quite honestly, it wouldn't have been that much different if I waited for the market to open to make that trade. But I felt like the moment. You you never know. I kind of, if I would have, now I think it would have been better if I made the trade at 3 a.m. my time if I was allowed to. So TD Ameritrade, shame on you for not giving us the full the full ability to trade pre market yeah. hours.
3: You have the ability um, to trade on Sunday night when futures open. Is that even possible for you? No, it's no,
2: no. That's a few Well, you can. That's a futures account. I've trade, never if traded you have futures. a futures account. So, yeah, yeah. I don't trade futures, but this is just regular pre market trading. So. I went more long, so my account right now, Dave, uh, percentage wise, is up. I want to say, let's take a look. Up four point two six percent today, when the market is up five point the the s the, you know the spy is up five point one eight. So so I got most of that lift, but not not all of it.
1: And you're not thinking though that this is going to be you going long permanently. You're still watching those three factors: oil, unemployment, uh. Small businesses. What was he Absol-
2: to Absolutely, Dave. No, no. It's how how it's long the timing, the timing, how long it's going to last, how deep it, how deep this goes in terms of unemployment and business closures, and then oil. Because remember, guys, oil is one of the biggest industries in the world, and everything kind of revolves around it. And it, we just can't have oil being at eighteen bucks a barrel. That just can't happen long term. Yeah. So, and, and one of the
1: first comments of the day was, "Is this a bear trap?" You know or a bull trap where the market wants to go up so badly, but then if there is another news cycle where there's continuous bad news for two days in a row, do we, do we go back down? I don't see us going down 20 to 30, 50% again, but I see these days where we might go down 10 or 20%. Yeah.
3: Well,
2: well, listen, how do we, listen, we don't look, we're not technical traders. We don't do this whole, Oh, it's a bear trap. It's that, that's, that is, Insane to me. Um, you can time my market. You, what, no. Here's the thing, guys. Let the information unfold. Was,
1: I, I think that you know, I'm 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 not going to predict the market, but uh, this, but I do see that this could be likely not going up and continuing to go up forever.
2: No, guys, guys. The market right now is trading erratically based on the news of the day. Period. There's no big scheme behind the scenes to set up a trap for bears or bulls. Like, that's not how the market is trading right now. Hedge funds and quant funds can't even trade this market because it's not systematic. It is too news driven. The information, the news is so important. There has never been a time in the last five years when actual data and news has been more instrumental in daily Mm -hmm. market moves. What that means is that you can't just play with the market and control the market. The news will control the market. So we don't know if the they could go down 20. Listen, Dave, it could go down 30, 40 percent from here. If something happens, hey, if China comes out and says we're getting a major uh, re-up in cases, right, and China shuts down again, we're going down 40, 50 percent from here. Do we all agree on that?
1: Absolutely. But you also have to realize that the news cycle will be affected by New York is leading because they started earlier. There's a bunch of markets that are not as big as New York, but that will be coming on with with likely more cases because we're, you know, on this in this two week cycle where infection to symptoms to hospitals filling up takes some time.
2: It does. And, and listen, who says that New York can't all of a sudden in Italy out of nowhere when people start getting out of their houses and getting out of this quarantine a month from now, two months from now, all of a sudden, the numbers start ticking up again, right? And, and, th- and even could...
1: even a false sense of security, like, oh, well, we're told to wear masks when we go out now, so I'm going to just go out and, you know, go to the grocery store more often and just do things that, that you know, anything that is open, I'm just going to get out of the house and do more. I don't think that, you know, as, as good as people have been at taking this seriously, I think that people are getting stir crazy and wanting to go out. And I would hate to see just people being careless and starting to think that everything is going to be okay and going out of the house more. And then that causes a relapse and causes things to go up even more.
3: But if they yeah. tell them there's really no money circular, circulating in the economy, right? So it's a balance, right? You've got to have people yeah. out spending money for a recovery. It's still circulating on Amazon.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's all that matters as long as amazon is doing well the majority of my portfolio is too so Are you guys so ready the, to talk real estate
2: I, I i am but i i just want to say like it's so important the news is going to drive the market every day and anybody that thinks anything but that is completely out of their mind and, and nobody we will continue knows to anything.
1: talk about that and other stocks and we're gonna we're gonna cover more of that coming up later in this episode and get to all of the chat comments that we can But we do want to talk about the title of this episode because we have had these historic lows uh, on borrowing costs and government stimulus, which is helping, but it's not keeping small business running. You know, Chris, you Mm -hmm. and I both are small business owners. We're applying for that paycheck protection program. We're trying to keep employees on the payroll. But even so, with zero revenue for the past three weeks, my bar uh, and only dive, you know, Ah, uh, dine-in completely shut down. Takeout and delivery only at your restaurant. If we didn't have savings and other investments, there's no way we would be paying our rent this month, right?
2: No, we are losing seventy thousand dollars a month at my restaurant, uh, and we're just taking it. Me and my partner are taking it, and and we want to keep. You know, we have such good talent, such good managers. We want to keep those people employed. We don't want to lose them. So. You know this. We're applying for our loan today. I think you guys are. We're using the same accountant, right, Dave? So if, yeah, we're using
1: the same and same you know, we don't. We don't have. Uh, we're not Bank of America, so we didn't get it on day one. But did you realize that Bank of America, you had to have an existing uh, loan product mm-hmm. with Bank of America to be able to qualify on that day one apply on the app thing?
2: Yeah, I heard about this. Yeah, you know, they're their CEO. The CEO came on CNBC and you know, that day, and he was like, oh, we're going beyond. We're actually calling up small business, and we're trying to help them out and all this stuff. And real, the reality was they're only de- doing this with their own customers right now, which is – yeah. He, was, he like, had he had All banks are
1: only doing it with their own customers. I think that's just the only way this mm-hmm. would work. But um, the, the Bank of America being first and having it on their mobile app – I bank at a Bank of America personally, but for our businesses, I think we both are using Chase, right?
2: Pegasus. Uh, oh, you're at Pegasus.
1: Pegasus? No, yeah. we're we're at Chase. So,
2: oh, so we'll get our loans in today, and hopefully we'll, that will buy us what sixty days. And I put, you know, I said last week, I said in the absence, in the absence of a V V-shaped recovery where everyone is back out in June, or or, or more government stimulus, these small businesses, eighty percent of them will go out of business here by mid, probably June fifteenth, I think.
1: Exactly, which is why when I've been looking at REITs, I'm looking at very sector specific REITs. You know, no office buildings, no retail real estate, except yeah. maybe grocery stores. But even even then, if you have an anchor grocery store and no other businesses operating, that shopping center is not doing well. I'm not looking at lodging or hotels or resorts or residential. Um, no self storage, even though those are usually pretty recession proof. Today, I'm focusing on three sectors. And I, I, I want to hear what you guys are looking at. I'm looking at healthcare, and specifically hospitals. I'm looking at infrastructure and specifically cell towers. And I'm looking at data centers, because you know, the cloud, and we're all addicted to the internet.
3: How's the cloud?
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yeah, I I focus most of my energy on healthcare REITs, and infrastructure cell tower, like you sell towers, because that is just something that one, I don't think it's going to get hit at all from any of this in any of what we're going through right now. But more importantly, those, as you know, were the hottest in 2019 yeah. in advance of the 5G cycle it's coming out. So 5G mm. cycle is still in front of us. You can't stop it. It's coming. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I see I
1: see my cell tower play as my other 5G play. You know, it's not just chip makers. It's not just the the communications companies. But these cell towers that, you know, especially the smaller, more frequent cell towers, I believe that you're going to need for 5G technology. And Jordan, you can probably speak to the technology of this better than I can. But I know that specifically I found a REIT that is heavily leveraged into 5G.
2: Okay. I want to hear about that one. I'm curious if the same one I have, but before we talk about these REITs specifically, Good time to remind everyone we're not financial advisors. We do not provide financial advices for education, entertainment only. Our risk tolerance is very different from yours. So do not mirror our trades. But I, we want you to understand the process we go through to actually <laughs> vetting these types of trades for our own portfolios so that you can do the same process for yourself. Okay. Um, And I
1: also, before we go any further, I want to remind everyone to make sure that you have subscribed and turned on notifications for this channel. But because we are a fairly new channel and don't have as many subscribers, YouTube doesn't always promote our stuff. So you have to turn on notifications and we have really big shows planned. This Thursday, we're planning on talking about a do we, how much do we want to say about this? We're, we're talking about a company I, that we have previously shorted that we may be going long in, and it could be our big bet on the recovery.
2: On the It's our big bet, not just on the recovery, our big bet on the roaring 2020s, which is a yes. thesis that we have that I cannot wait to talk about on Thursday. Thursday's episode is going to be so slamming. I cannot wait for it, guys. You must, must watch um, but yeah, that's a big... By the way, it's a trade I already made this morning, Dave. It's, it's oh, done. You already I, are in? I got partially in. I got partially in because I just could not wait. I've been thinking about it all weekend. We're going to talk about that, we'll on, talk Thursday, about that on Thursday. We'll talk about that on Thursday. And
1: then on Monday, for all the people who have been asking, it's probably our most requested episode. We're going to do a live options education episode. Uh, unless there's some breaking news over the weekend that it, we might preempt it. But we're planning to just talk about options and the market. And we'll, we'll do kind of our normal live show too. But if you've been wanting to see us talk about options and how they work and our kind of very simple strategy, we're not doing the crazy, you know, iron condor, steel butterfly that, you know, all of that nonsense. So we, we, be sure we've been, you tune in on Monday for that one. Same, been same trading, time, same channel.
2: We've been trading options since what we were 13 years old, 32 years trading options Yeah. Um, I'm sure
1: (laughs) sure those brokerages would love to know that they had 13-year-olds trading highly highly risky options and losing all of their money. I'm sure they had some liability if if they had known that. But we just checked the boxes saying we're old enough. It's
2: all good. Fidelity Investments through my older brother's account. But We'll talk about it on Thursday. We'll tell you Monday. Everything you want to know about options next Monday, that will be our episode. Um, Okay. So where do we want to
1: start when it comes to these, uh, these REITs?
2: Well, I want to, since we're talking about the cell tower, and I think the cell tower ones are not quite as exciting as the healthcare ones. So why don't you start there, Dave, and tell us what you see in the uh, the cell tower. Okay,
1: hang on. I've got to pull up my notes here. And for some reason, uh, I just opened Final Cut Pro on top of everything. So uh,
2: let's... Does the symbol start with an A?
1: Um, The one that I'm looking at, I know what you're talking about. American Tower,
2: <laughs> yes, that yeah. is definitely on my up. list. But the yeah.
1: one that I'm actually looking for uh, is called Crown Castle. It's uh, CCI as their ticker oh, I, symbol. Yeah, have you seen that one? So they have they have I, forty thousand I... towers. They have seventy thousand small cells, which are the five G technology. Uh, they are in all. They have a very large presence in the top one hundred markets, according to their own. Materials and I haven't I haven't been able to uh, independently verify that, but long term leases um, and they've had a significant sell off, um, but they're <clears> really <throat> recovering. I'll pull up a chart while you give me your thoughts. Yeah,
2: so, so Dave, do you know what the do you know what the dividend is there on Crown Tower?
1: I will tell you, it's it's probably changing because uh, they have recovered. So right it's now,
3: CCI right now. It's a little over three percent
1: three point two nine percent right now
3: okay how how how
2: hard has that one gotten hit
1: well here's here's how hard they got hit and how fast they've recovered so they're still way off of their highs and so that's that's what I'm thinking that they will get back to those highs this is a uh, let's go to like a long-term chart so you can see this is a strong company in general and they're way off of that high of near
2: 165. Wow. They are high though, man. They are high
1: and they've they've come back quick.
2: So maybe I'll, maybe I'll add a little crown castle, uh, to my, my new emerging REIT portfolio. I, 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 rarely trade these things and what kind of, you know, I guess what ignited the whole conversation about REITs is I have a handful of, you know, institutional guys that are still working on wall street and I've been talking to them over the past few weeks and the, you know, the the thing that comes up over and over again, these guys all trade, you know, they're trading bonds, of course, uh, and they're also focused on the REIT market. And I, and they're so focused on the REIT market. I was like, you know what, let me, let me take a look in there. Maybe I can find a couple that I like. Um,
1: I think for me, you know, I don't want to own, uh, commercial real estate or even independent properties that you're trying to, uh, Rent out, or even an apartment building, like we've we've talked about. We do it <laughs> doing as a group. <laughs> yeah. But um, this is this is my way to own real estate. Yeah, you know how, I, the way REITs are structured, basically, they have to pay out typically like ninety percent of their taxable income as dividends to their shareholders. So it's kind of like you owning a small piece of an office building or a small piece of, in this case, the plot of land that a cell tower is on.
2: Yeah, it's it's really. Fairly straightforward, honestly, when you buy into a real estate investment trust, you're essentially buying into a collection of properties that, and you become, you're the landlord, right? Except there's now a management firm, right? And the, the trust is taking out and they're charging money uh, to the trust holders uh, to manage that portfolio. But <laughs> you're essentially getting rent. Uh, so all of these REITs pay out dividends and these REITs have gotten destroyed because we have no idea what this recession is going to look like. In fact, I saw a report this morning that said we could theoretically see a 50%, like a 50% reduction um, in, in, in hit to our GDP, as it, especially as it relates to a lot of these types of real estate plays. So it, this is a dangerous world to be in REITs right now. But there are REITs like infrastructure and cell towers that, they should not get impacted at all. Right. Dave. Like I, I I don't, and and their stock price is showing that they should have never went down to begin with.
1: Yeah. And I've pulled up the the other one that you've been looking at American tower that's in red and crown castle is in green. So those are, those are very similar charts. Um, and they've both had similar recoveries, um, on American tower. They have, I think more towers, they have uh, 170,000 of them. Mm -hmm. Um, they're one of the largest global REITs.
2: Yeah, so in the world. So, so listen, uh, the problem with the, both these REITs is you're not really buying them at a huge discount. But hey, it's about a twenty percent discount from their high, right? right. And I, I, I'm interested. I see this more as you know a fairly stable five uh, G play. Uh, it's a twenty percent discount. It's 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 not something that I'm looking for a big price gain on but it, it can't hurt. I think, will. you know, with the cost of money, we talk about this all the time now, with interest rates being down near zero, there's not a lot of safe money out there where we can earn, right, more than half of a percent on a treasury bill, right? <laughs> uh, so this is one of those areas where you could actually earn a few percentage points on your money in something that theoretically sounds kind of safe, it feels kind of safe, but at the same time, every one of these comes with a risk, right? I mean, you just you never you don't know what you don't know, uh, and there could be accounting scandals. There could be all kinds of things with some of these REITs. But I put a little bit of money in Tower Corp, Dave. So that that was mine, and okay, you haven't I'm pulled the trigger some on in it yet.
1: To uh, Crown Castle, I have not done it yet, but I'm planning to uh, buy some Crown Castle. And the other one I've added to this chart is SBA Communications. They're probably the these three are the kind of gold standard of uh reits involved in communication towers and they are north north america central america and south america uh and they're more involved in uh doing leasing of antenna space on multi-tenant towers
2: oh gotcha gotcha so, so.
1: that's that's more you know a little more geographically uh, diverse i think crown castle is more concentrated in the us i think uh AMT is is, a, is global, probably has a, a significant portion in uh, the US, but uh, SBA is more of a the Americas, North, Central and South.
2: Jordan, do you have any interest in these REITs at all? Uh, yeah, you, I own some AMT. Oh, you got AMT as well. Okay, yeah. great. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Yeah, so, uh,
3: to just, you know, enough
1: to have what, a bit what was your what was your thought process on choosing that one over the others?
3: um the one article you read it was just um (laughs) it was kind of depressed i think the when i got in the rate was three something three three something yeah Yeah. that's when i got into um listen there's
2: not a ton of differentiation and i don't want to say you know act like i've done a lot of research in this i don't ever want to probably look at REITs ever again after this but i figure you know they are they are beaten down a little bit and there are probably a couple stronger ones and i'm only interested in the strongest of these REITs right now because I don't want to touch the others. I'm scared to death of them. Uh, I don't know that government money is going to save some of these other REITs if people stop paying uh, and this thing kind of draws out for the next year. You know, Everyone thinks about, oh, we're going to go back into the world and people are going to go back into restaurants and stuff. Okay, maybe, maybe that happens. Maybe restaurants open up in June. Okay, maybe small business is allowed to open up in June. Maybe we're allowed to leave our house with face masks. But what if business is down thirty percent, forty percent? Guys, small business margins are not big enough to handle even a twenty percent reduction in revenue. Okay, so and and a
1: lot of these uh, commercial leases are based on the revenue. It's it's not a it's not a fixed. Here's your monthly rent, and just pay it to us regardless. A lot of it is based on how much revenue is going through the business that sits on that property.
2: Yes, that, that is absolutely correct, and especially when you have these REITs that own, you know, they're to retailers, all the like the retail and the mall stuff, they take a portion of that revenue. So I am really, really nervous about that space because unlike the 2008 you know, eight kind of recession this is something where we could get a 20 or 30 or 40 percent of businesses just shutting down and it could take years and years and years for these REITs to replace those tenants and I'm just I'm
3: nervous about that space yeah. so which is why
1: I'm really focused on these three areas <laughs> um, even residential where I've I've seen some analysts say that that residential could continue to be strong uh, I I just fear I wouldn't be buying an apartment building right now so why would I buy residential reits.
2: Yeah, I mean I th- that said residential has gotten beat up a lot more than the two sectors you know I'm focused on and there could be opportunities there if you think people will continue to get paid either by the government or their job which you know seems to be the case. So I understand the case for taking throwing a little money into a riskier residential REIT. Listen, I'm not going to do it because I have I have risky equity plays I prefer to play around with, right? So like, that's my zone. So I'm not going to get too deep into this REIT world. But there is one area that I find fascinating I want to talk about. This is the healthcare REITs. And I looked at all the healthcare REITs and was surprised that maybe you guys found something that I didn't find. But I only found one healthcare REIT that was focused exclusively on... what I believe to be the safest of all safe assets, even though right now it's the worst hospitals, right? So I I
1: agree. And that's, I think we probably found the same one.
2: So let's talk about hospitals in general, though. Hospitals right now are getting destroyed. Like people don't realize this. They think, oh, there's all these COVID patients and they're getting paid for them. No, 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 no. Hospitals are like, em- the rest of the hospitals are empty. There's no surgeries taking place except ones that absolutely have to take place. There's no elective surgery. Hospitals are getting destroyed right now. Yeah. So these REITs that, yeah. in, that, that own hospitals, what's the one, Dave, that we're talking about? The, Probably uh, that, Medical I mean? Properties Trust. Yeah, MPW Medical Properties Trust, if we can bring up their chart. Uh, these guys have gotten, you know, oh, oh, wait, what is that? Is that from February to March? This so uh, year to date, I believe. Yeah. So so they got crushed. You know, they were up to, you know, 22, 24 bucks a share, came all the way down to 13. Now they're sitting at 16, which is still kind of a nice, yeah, pretty nice. What is that? Like a 30%, 35% from the high. So yep. what's fascinating here, and here's the thesis. So I read this one article, I thought it was really funny, and it was not vetted well but I get the point of it. The concept was US-backed treasuries, right? So the US government is backing treasury bills, as we, we all know, but those are only paying like percent or two-thirds of 1% interest rate, right? Medical Properties Trust, they were saying, is a government-backed REIT, okay? Now, I'll tell you why they said that. They're like, This trust pays, at the time, last week, it was paying, what, 7.2% interest rate? So, like, do you want to get half of a percent interest from a treasury bill or over 7% from another government-backed security? Now, they're not government-backed, but the reason why they said they were government-backed is because the thesis is that the government will not let these hospitals fail. Could you imagine, in this circumstance, when all these hospitals are taking in COVID patients, could you imagine if... If the government allowed them to fail, I think that is the one industry they will backstop to no end. Don't you agree they're going to backstop? I completely it no
1: agree. And, I, and that's why I'm looking at hospitals and I'm not looking at other areas that are traditionally in the healthcare REIT yeah. baskets, like senior facilities, medical off- offices, doctor's offices, that sort of thing, medical buildings. I'm. I, this is the one that I could find that was Almost exclusively, I think, exclusively hospitals. And just last year, they spent $4.5 billion acquiring hospital real estate. Uh, They have 389 hospital properties in their portfolio, the second largest non government owner of hospital beds in the US. And some of these healthcare, you know, the way you look at REITs is kind of the year to date uh, annual or total returns year to date. And some of these healthcare ones are down 60% for the year. Medical properties trust is only down 16%. So it, it it has been performing well, but I think with good reason, because the hospitals are going to be the ones that continue to pay their bills for sure.
2: Well, but you no, know, there is some risk. So no, here's where, you know you might read an article like the one I read and you might think, wow, this is a government backed like read. Well, first of all, it's <laughs> technically not. It's a thesis that the government will back these, these hospitals, which I think is a pretty strong thesis. But what, the, what, what you know, the, the average trader might miss is that you have to go deeper. Where's the risk? There's always risk, guys. And I think the risk here is that not 100% of their hospitals, if you look deeper, are U.S. hospitals. Yep. So we did some research. I actually had one of our buddies from the show who's on our show a week and a half ago, Chase Figer, our med tech right, advisor to Dumb Money, uh, he actually did some research and found out that roughly 20% of their hospitals were foreign, okay? Now, uh, the, the reason why that's a potential issue is because unlike the U.S. government, some of these foreign governments might not be willing to fully backstop their hospital network like we would potentially in the U S now of the 20% that were foreign. I think he said that 16% were European and, and a 16 that is like 16% of all their hospitals are European. And I, I, I think 14% uh, were German. So they're basically, it sounds, it sounds like they're 80% U S and then like 14% German, 2% other European countries and like 4% percent random around the world. So that's kind of a risk that you have to think about before you buy a REIT like this, right? Yep. Um, but, but can we talk about hospitals in general? What, do you know that I think the sector, what do you think is the sector that would come back the hardest, the quickest and the hardest as soon as like we felt somewhat okay to be out again? Don't you think it's going to be hospitals? Do you know what the pent up demand for surgeries in this country, right? Because all of people
1: who have wanted or needed to do something, but have put it off because the last thing they want to do is walk through the hospital door or even the doctor's office. I'm, I'm not going to go to the doctor's office right now. Mm -mm.
2: But would you, as soon as this thing kind of dissipates, I mean, like some other industries, like you, you're only going to eat so much food. So if you don't eat food at a restaurant you're not going to, when this is all over, you're not going to eat three times as much food or t- 100 times more food at the restaurants. That's done. You just ordered food in. But that surgery that you kind of need to get or would like to get, but you can't get right now, you're going to get it. You're just going to get it next year, right? So the hospitals should theoretically come roaring back pretty quickly when this is over, I would imagine.
1: And that's another reason that perhaps the medical offices will too. Like, all the people not going for their monthly dental cleanings and are putting it off, they're going to all, you know, all of these, these medical office REITs that have been hit whenever there's a turn. I think that's the time to maybe look at those again, but yeah, but I don't know how long that's going to be. So it's kind of like, you know, investing in just any equities right now, you never know. And you don't know how long it's going to be. And so I wouldn't want to sit in a medical office REIT, but I do think a hospital Mm. is, is the safer bet here.
2: You brought up a great point, Dave, because all the dentists and all those guys, I mean, they're hurting so bad, I can't even imagine. But they're not paying their rent. I can't imagine they're paying the rent. And the government's not like, oh, we got to protect the dentist's office, right? Like, they're not worried about that. Hospitals? But most of them
3: are SBAs, right? So most of these dentists probably are getting some sort of SBA protection.
2: Correct. They're they're getting their own protection, right? Um, But that protection... They don't have to spend it on rent, Jordan, right? So like they can kind of these they can kind of do what they want and their small businesses. Yeah. Whereas
1: you, you have to pay a, a certain percentage, I think it's like 75 or 85 percent of the money that you receive to your payroll. payroll. So they'll continue to pay all of their med tech workers and their front desk people and all of that. But they may not, or they may, you know, try to work out a deal with their landlord to say, Hey, we can't afford to pay you right now because yeah. we have to pay our payroll where yeah, you know, all it's of announced. the money we're getting from the government is going to pay for our payroll.
2: Also, Jordan, do you know how, we, we know we joke about this. So I, I love doctors. i got a lot of doctor friends, but a lot of them when it comes to business, aren't the, quite the most business savvy people. Uh, don't you see them get kind of getting into trouble right now with this whole process and the loans and handling their offices and balancing no revenue for months at a time and maybe getting nervous. And some of the old, think about how many older Dentists there are, and older physicians that were kind of on the edge of retiring, yeah. and now they're I, like, I see, hmm. "I see
1: this turning into a retirement event for the older dentists."
2: I, I really, and, do. and I've read
1: stats that the, that going into dentistry is becoming less of a you know desirable business. There's fewer people graduating from dental school.
3: Yeah, so those who are
1: might have the, more demand than a lot ever.
3: validation of in of dentistry too, right? You have lot, you have less of the little single you know, single, single doctor offices and they're going towards like, you know, multi.
2: Yeah. So, so uh, that's, that, that, listen, that's why I'm staying away from the, you know, the little offices and and those Mm -hmm. types of reads. So those are my two reads. You know what guys, this is the first time I've ever bought a REIT in 32 years. Like I can't believe I'm (laughs) buying a REIT, but, and I'm not super excited about it quite honestly, but Hey, if not now, when, right? Like I, you can get a little bit of a discount on some of the stronger REITs. I, I'm almost doing it because, you know, our thesis, our theory at Dumb Money is we will invest in anything, right, guys? I have, is there yeah. anything we haven't invested in from real estate to apartment buildings to land development deals to Bars and restaurants and tech companies. We will literally
1: invest in anything. It's uh, and that's actually I really enjoyed this exercise because it got me back into doing research on something that I haven't looked at in a long time, and that that was good. Did you look at any data center plays beyond Amazon? And I feel like I have I have I'm outweighted in uh, data centers because AWS is my favorite data center, and I own a lot of Amazon stock.
3: Yeah, Did Amazon you at Any of those? My two data center plays.
2: Yeah, what yeah. I mean? He just said he just said Amazon and Microsoft oh. over there. And, yeah. and so, Jordan, I'm with you. Like, I started to look into them and I was like five minutes into it. I'm like, what am I wasting my time for? Like, I got the two best data centers in the world. Like, I'm not going to mess around. I don't need to spend my time researching and learning about data centers outside of my Amazon and Microsoft trades. So, now, do
1: we know I I I actually don't know this. It just came to mind. Do we know if Amazon owns all of the land that their data centers are in or are they renting leasing space from data providers? I
2: or, I bet they lease as well, but I don't even care. Like I, I like it when they, I I kind of I feel like I still have some massive exposure through Amazon and Microsoft into yeah. the data center world. So, I don't need to mess with reads. I agree, Dave. I kind of did it for the same reason you did it. I hate like investing, investing is what we do. And like, I want to be able to at least speak intelligently about, you know, these areas and I've never invested in them and forcing myself to make those investments this last week and to do some degree of research. Uh, it's part of the process and you know, we'll see how they do over time. So that's it. Those are the only two reads for me. You guys looking at anything else at all?
1: No, those are the only two for me. Um, I did look at Digital Realty Trust. It's a huge REIT that has 267 data centers, more than 2,000 customers. I would looked at Equinix, uh, which is 52 markets worldwide. But like you guys, I think I think Amazon is my one and only uh, data center play.
2: Um, can I throw out just? I'm just going to shuffle it up here. I just want to throw out a short trade that I made after market hours on Friday um so and it involves why warren didn't you buffett. tell me about this i did tell you about oh this. is it the I, one you? <laughs> yeah yeah so this is all over the news so um this is fascinating i want to talk to you guys about it A uh, warren buffett uh who's been very quiet and you know w- we did enough of ripping on warren buffett and berkshire hathaway uh, a couple weeks ago we're not going to do that today uh but but warren buffett has been really quiet And it turns out everyone kind of assumed that he was making some big play. I think he's going to make some big, big acquisitions here, right? Because he's got 130 billion bucks and he's just waiting. He's been waiting for 10 years, 15 years to make acquisitions. Now everyone thought he would buy one of the airlines. Now what he did was he actually sold some shares. I don't remember how much it's 15% of his shares in Delta and Southwest airlines on Friday. So this might not be what you think it is. And I mm-hmm. want to talk about all the things that this trade could actually represent. So is Delta down today on that news, by the way, and the airlines? Yeah, they're down today. Yep. Okay, so I saw this trade, and I immediately went in and shorted American Airlines, okay, uh, on after the market closed on Friday. Not because I believe this is necessarily a negative for, for Warren Buffett and, and the airline stocks. I think he could be up to something that's actually positive for airlines. But I already didn't like American Airlines in this situation. Remember, our thesis was that, as of last week, the government money I don't think is going to be enough to support the airlines past summertime. So even with the government money, I think the airlines, if this thing continues down the road we're going down, I think that they could still be in trouble. And I think the equity shareholders of the worst balance sheet airlines, American Airlines, uh, is the worst of the balance sheets, I think could get crushed in that scenario, even if the airlines don't file for bankruptcy, uh, because they'll take government money, they'll get diluted. Um, I think they could be in really big trouble. So what do you guys think about this? Is he selling because, Because he's out on the airlines, he's done. He said he would never. He said he wasn't going to sell the airlines, but he did.
1: I I think, and I think you're thinking the same thing. He is strategically. This news got out because he had to. um, He had to disclose it because he's such a big holder of these airlines, and I think he wanted the price to go down so he can leverage and own more of the airlines at a cheaper price. No he's, way. He's, he's a smart guy.
2: No, no, I, I don't think that's what he was doing. But I think that's a side, maybe a side benefit of what he was doing for himself. I, listen, that would be really dirty. I don't think he cares enough to, to play with the market like that. That would be a really cruel thing to do, but a, a really smart thing, actually. But I think what he's doing is there. he's potentially involved with the deal with for one of the airlines, I don't know which one, uh, but he might need to bring his share count down with another airline to kind of be able to do that deal. Uh, It could be a government mandate, it could be something at the deal, the board is mandating that they don't want him to own more of a competitor, uh, if he wants to buy them out. Uh, It could be also uh, that he is working some sort of warrant deal, like an investment, a huge investment in one of the airlines, it would come with a monstrous warrant deal that would effectively allow him to own a huge chunk of that airline. And because of that, he has to kind of, you know, uh, pull some of his investment from a competing airline or even that airline. Um, So there's just a lot of things that go on in the accounting of these deals. And there's just really no way to understand it without being in the room. So I think this could be him going all in on one of the airlines. And oh, did Buff, someone said Buffett said he bought too much in airlines by mistake? Is that did that come out this morning? Uh, that was running rabbit. 04, Love yeah, I, I hadn't
1: I hadn't seen that news, but
2: uh, I, someone, it would be it would be unusual,
1: I think, for him to comment on that.
2: Yeah, I, I think I haven't heard him commenting. Another comment
1: he recently purchased Delta shares a few weeks ago at a loss. Orlando well, guy no, reminds us that American Airlines is the worst airline, but unfortunately, we live in Dallas, and so it's yeah. the hub. Uh,
2: so I don't see, I'm on Twitter, and I'm not seeing that he said that, but I could be totally wrong. Uh, I think something is up another, another
1: running rabbit says he wanted to get under the SEC reporting percentage of 10%. So he's he's trying to be at 9.9% in multiple airlines instead of 10% plus in fewer airlines, maybe?
2: I, listen, th- there are a lot of things that could be happening here. We just don't Michael know. Michael says
1: that uh, Delta is reporting this week. Hey, Crockett. Uh,
2: yeah, so I, I, I think the airline earnings this week are going to be obviously horrific. It's not about the business now, because we all know how bad the business is right now. It's about what, how much of a runway they have going into summer based on the debt and financing deals that are being offered to them today, how far into the summer that will get them. And then investors are going to have to make a decision. Is that enough to get them through this period? Or are they at risk? of a potential bankruptcy or having to take further non-government dilution or even more government dilution as part of a second wave of debt relief, which would be catastrophic for the airlines. It's one thing to take a few billion dollars, but they just can't do wave after wave without crushing equity shareholders, guys. So, you know, maybe Buffett did think, oh, I, I never realized how bad this can get.
1: And running right. rabbit is actually saying that that was back uh, in an interview from last year that he said that he wanted to get under that ten percent threshold. So maybe, maybe we should have seen it coming. But
2: uh, well, yeah. I, you know, we'll, we'll see. He did just buy more Delta though just before this all, all started. So that kind of wouldn't make sense that he would buy more and then sell. I think he's either getting out or de- you know de risking himself, or he has something really big going on. And guys. How does he not have something really big going on? Yeah ha-
1: his he has- people are hard at work right now. this is this is what they love. volatility is is their is their bread and butter
2: It, it is, but also you have to understand they have been planning these buyouts for a decade. They have I think a hundred and thirty I, I forget the number. it's an enormous number of acquisitions that have been fully vetted, fully assessed that they haven't pulled the trigger because they're too expensive right? So they've already done all the legwork. It's not like they have to start the legwork from zero. They already know what companies they want to buy. They already know what they want to pay for them. They've already done most of the due diligence, right? And now they're just sitting back and waiting, right? <laughs> to put the on the trigger. Yeah. And so you know that they're so busy right now having all those conversations. Um, all right. So th- that's that. I, that's my short trade. I, I, I'm, neg- you know, I'm short American Airlines. We'll see what happens. I I, it's not that much money to where I care that much either way, um, but I did feel that it was probably a net negative. And All it, right, guys. it looks
1: like uh, American dropped this morning, then it's been up. So if, if you've got it at the end of day uh, Friday, yeah. you're probably kind of break even on that one.
2: Pro- probably so, Jordan. I have a medical question for you because uh, there's a lot, a lot of buzz coming out over the last twenty four hours about you know this whole. You know the the drug combination that the administration keeps touting, and there's not really a lot of evidence that it works yet. It's it's erythromycin plus uh, chlorox. What's it called?
3: Hydrochloroquine.
2: Hydrochloroquine. Okay, so I, I, we, that that's been talked to death, but yeah. but there's this extra element of zinc that you know there's this. I guess Rudy Giuliani's family doctor claims to have treated 665. Of these patients now um, with a combination of those two drugs plus zinc. And the concept is that the, uh, the hype. Can you say that word again for me? I- hydrochloroquine. Hydrochloroquine allows the zinc to get into the cell. And then the zinc itself is what acts the viral load and, and prevents the virus Uh, from kind of accelerating, right, or expanding, um, you know, in in the cells. So this is like a big thing. And I think I saw a lot more buzz about this morning. I think we're going to hear a lot more about it this week. So, again, you know, when we're talking about therapies Mm -hmm. that could work, he has supplied no backing data on these 665 patients or whatever it is. He's supplied nothing. So nobody knows that this guy is just a lunatic. Or if there's legitimacy behind it, but it's certainly something to watch. But the, you, you, I know you know about all these medications and, and and all this. Does that even make sense to you that zinc would have the ability to be that impactful here?
3: I think so. Yeah, I mean, zinc is. Um, uh, I don't know if there's any you know real uh, proof behind it, but. You know, I make sure and eat plenty of like cashews and things like that so I can get enough zinc in my diet. Um, it is supposed to be somewhat protective against virus. I don't know if that's um, medically proven or if it's just anecdotal at this point. I'd have to yeah. do some research to figure it out. Um,
2: but this is something that we should be watching because like, yeah. it's a pretty bold claim. And I have to say it's not like a completely random doctor. I mean, Giuliani is a weirdo. But, but, but I mean, <laughs> but I mean, the fact that it's him, it's his doctor, but still it's kind of, I don't know. It's worth, don't you think it's worth like following this story closely? I mean, it's worth if there's something, there's, some, there's something to it. That's yeah. a pretty bold claim. He says that of the 665 patients, not one of them has been hospitalized. Not one of them. Could you believe that? Not one of them has been intubated and they're all tested positive and they've all, he's run this exact, he's a New York doctor, and he's run this with 660 some odd patients, and not one of them has been hospitalized? I mean, either the guy is a liar, he's a lunatic, or -hmm. there's potentially something to this, don't you think? Yeah,
3: so if he's got that data, he needs to share it with the medical community, he needs to publish a paper, he needs to do that as quickly as possible, right? Um, And then let other doctors tear it apart and see if there's any, uh, if there's any,
2: Yeah, he he evidently just wrote a letter. That's all he did. But, but, and he's probably moving so quickly that he's like, he's like, this would take a year and a half to prove out and we don't have time, but you should be. He's, he was basically saying that, that, that the administration should, should, uh, should kind of enforce other doctors testing this out at least and, and, and like spreading the word that this is something that should be tested and looked at. Um,
3: yeah, I mean, I think the administration is spreading, you know, some of this stuff, and it's uh, having several different effects. I think there's also um, people who don't have coronavirus that are hoarding some of the um, hydrochloroquine medications, right? If they can get their hands on it, so that's kind of the, the downside of the administration uh, pushing some of this stuff. Um, yeah, I've, heard, I've even heard reports of doctors um, taking the, you know, um, combination. As a preventative, which a preventative, yeah. Hey, can Dave can you say even
2: even
1: the you know the zinc is one of those things that you take when you have normal flu, right? So if it has any impact there and there there are studies dating back to it looks like mid nineties, the Cleveland Clinic uh, did a study on people taking zinc lozenges and how that helped. I mean, so there's there's potentially something there. I don't know. I I I don't
3: I don't know if it's like full-on proven out as, a, as an actual therapy, but there's definitely anecdotal evidence. They can
2: Dave, Dave, could you show Corey's comment at 1149? Uh, he's saying that the hydroxy opens, this is kind of what I was getting at, it opens the cell me- membrane for the zinc to kill it. Now, he's saying that Teva Pharmaceuticals is the play, and maybe AMRX. Uh, I, I have no idea if he's correct or not, but probably worth looking into. Here's the thing, guys. I don't whatever the kind of cure is, if there's a temporary non-vaccine cure, I am not trading any of these pharma companies based on it because the pharma companies are so large that even if you look at the best case scenario and the whole world is buying this stuff from them, it's it's probably not going to move the needle to any large degree of these big pharma companies because it's a one-time event. This is a one-time event. A cure is a one-time event. A vaccine, if it, if it turns out to be seasonal, is an event that everybody would get every year. So it, the company that comes up with the right, right vaccine, you could make a case that this could be a needle mover for them. But a cure for people that get sick, first of all, in the grand scheme of things, billions of people aren't getting sick. So it's like in the hundreds of thousands that are getting sick. Right. And so, and and there's just, and it's a one-time event. So once we have a vaccine, there will be no market for the cure. Right. So, so think about that. Like that's why I'm not interested in any of these companies that are helping with the cure. I, I love it that they're doing it, but I just don't think there's that much money there. And everything I've read has kind of confirmed that for me, all the sell side analysts are even like, guys, like the most that these companies that have these cures out there like would make is a tiny fraction of their revenue.
0: Yeah.
2: So, so something to think about, but we'll keep an eye on that one for sure. Uh, you know, J Day. There's a, there's a, in- a Swedish
1: uh, clinical trial, according to R diddy that uh, that uh, drug was halted in a Swedish clinical trial due to side I, effects. I
2: know about that I know about that trial, and uh, the, it was halted due to issues that are known uh, for eyesight. They're eyesight issues, right? So chloroquine, the, the biggest side effect is it causes eyesight issues, and it also has side effects for people that are on have certain heart conditions and are on other heart medications. So it's not a completely safe drug. That, for sure, it's not completely safe. Um, I, You know, I read the same thing. At at the same time, it seems like the side effects are not so big that they would that they would not use it here.
3: Well, I think hydrochloroquine is a little bit safer than straight up chloroquine. Yeah,
2: yeah. So, you know, and they have what thirty million of them stockpiled now. So, are you guys going to get some just in case? (laughs) No, I'm
1: I'm just going to rely on you to stockpile anything that I might need because I know that you're going to you'll be the one who has an inventory whether it's a mask or a drug that I might need,
2: probably so. I had this other hedge fund guy that that kind of texted me this random supplement like two months ago that helps with your um, lungs, like clearing your lungs out. And my wife ordered like ten bottles of it. I'm like, why do we do that? And we're not going to take that. <laughs> we're not going to take that stuff.
3: Yeah, if I end up if I end up in a hospital, I will uh, trust my doctor.
2: Yeah. Cool.
3: Um, so uh, you know, so I want to go through
2: some random comments, guys. Yeah. Uh Trade Desk, Danny H at 1144 is asking about Trade Desk. Trade Desk is one of those companies that I feel like I should own, but I don't own them. Uh, Trade Desk is is the like bidding self self bidding platform, essentially, for all of the advertisements that are going into like these streaming networks. It's like all the broadcast advertisements. I, I think it's an awesome company. Uh, really cool. It's off its highs, big time. Uh, it sounds like it might be a really nice rebound play. It hasn't recovered that much, but I need to research it more before I actually trade it, before I trade Trade Desk and add to my portfolio. so I'm, I'm actually re- marking it down right now. We'll try to talk about that one a bit on our Thursday show. To
1: give you a, just an idea of from the market highs where it's trading, it's it's above the uh, S and P, but just to give you an idea of, of where that stock is. It, it is definitely off of its highs. So,
2: it's an awesome company, guys. And uh, I, I do want to. I, I have not done the proper due diligence, uh, but I will do that prior to Thursday's show. I'll tell you what I'm going to talk about on Thursday, though. In addition to this other trade, the stock that's going to be the biggest beneficiary of Uh, The roaring 2020s, this is what I'm talking about. Not core specifically, but uh, liquor stocks, uh, wine stocks like Constellation Brands, beer companies like Anheuser-Busch. We've already dealt with this topic on dumb money. Their sales are getting rocked. They're not up. They are down because all the world's bars and restaurants are down. So even though you're drinking more at home, uh, (laughs) overall, their distribution is destroyed, right? That said, that said. Um, I think that they could be some of the best rebound stocks once we get back to normal life and we kick off the roaring 2020s. Um, I think that all these liquor and alcohol companies could be amazing rebound stocks. So we're going to talk about that on Thursday's episode. You do not want to miss it. We're going to dive into each of them. Constellation, Anheuser-Busch, Sam Adams and talk about what our favorites are for the rebound. Let's see here. Uh, Thoughts on Lufthansa at 1148. Uh, Guys, I know nothing about Lufthansa. Uh, All I know is that if you're trading airlines, you want to trade the ones with the best balance sheets. Uh, I think, you know, in 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 the U.S., I want to say JetBlue had one of the very best balance sheets and is most likely to survive this. Uh, with government money. So when we were long airlines, uh, JetBlue is one of the stocks that we owned. I've since sold out of my JetBlue. Um, I was even long American Airlines for like 24 hours a few weeks ago because it was the worst. Remember, we're talking about how it's the worst, but it's the one that bounced back the hardest with government money. That's before we started realizing that the government money probably wasn't going to be enough to potentially get them through the entire crisis.
1: And you're not in any airline stocks other than you're short on American right
2: now, right? Uh, Right now, I'm just short on American. If I feel that the government money is going to be enough to get us through this crisis for the airlines, the airline that I will get back into is JetBlue because JetBlue has the best balance sheet or one of the best balance sheets (laughs) out there. So if I'm going to own an airline, I'm going to own JetBlue.
3: And maybe Delta.
2: And, you know, may, 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 maybe Delta, you know, but I, I'm just going to own JetBlue. I don't want to own more than one airline. I hate airlines. I hate, you know what I hate? I hate airline executives. I hate air, I hate the airline industry. I hate, I know, listen, guys, you know, I've worked for most of my career. Uh, the biggest part of my career, I worked with airlines at my old company. I worked with a lot of these airline people. Some of them are very nice, but in general, kind of like the car industry, uh, over time, the, they just, they, the, the psychographic of an airline executive, they're really arrogant, extraordinarily arrogant. And I just don't like them. I don't like the way airlines think, and I don't want to have anything to do with them, unless they're a great investment, which I don't think they generally are. Well, um, I see a that we, had a, we
1: had a question from uh, J. Dave. He bought American Airlines at 15. Feels like an idiot for holding it. Would it be a good idea to wait and break even or take my losses and put my cash into something like, When I'm not sure which stock. What
3: what, what, about? So my view on this is that if you see an opportunity that you can take that the money that's you know valued you know for that stock right now and then get an increase in another way, then you should 100% do that. Unless you think that the you know you got to get away from the you know what you know your attachment to what you paid for that stock price at and think about where are these dollars going to be the most efficient right now? You know, we're not, we're not advisors. We can't tell you what that's going to be, but you need to make your own decision.
1: That is something that Chris actually taught me years ago that I live by to this day is every single day when you have a stock in your portfolio, if, you aren't, if it's sitting in your portfolio, it's the exact same as choosing to buy it that day. And if you wouldn't buy that stock that day, it's time to sell that stock.
2: Yeah, there's only one exception to that rule, and it's if you're holding the stock for long term capital gains yeah. because you have to look at the tax, the tax disadvantage of selling it and then having to rebuy something else. But <clears> besides <throat> that, if you remove that from the equation, let me say this there is no such thing as hold. If you ever hear someone use the word hold, just just ignore everything else that they ever say ever again. There's only no they lot hold on CNBC and how that lost we lost thought was stupid and Hold
3: on, think, on. Oh, we're both talking. talking. Go ahead, no. Jordan. So what I was going to say is that there's another advantage. You get to sell that stock, take the loss, right? Right off some other gain that you might have had. So, I mean, you you just got to look at your own situation and figure out where that money is going to be best served. There. Okay. And
1: my point was there was that show called Buy, Sell, or Hold on CNBC back back in the day when we used to watch that all the time. And we were just like, they just need to have a show called Buy or Sell. That hold doesn't exist.
2: I, there are so many things I can't stand about the way people that are professionals in the finance industry and the capital markets industry think and how they talk and how they think about investing. They're just Wrong. You're just you're just wrong. There is no such thing as a hold. If you either want to buy a stock that day or sell it that day. If you you ever hear someone say, "Well, if you already own it, keep it, but don't open up a new position in it." What sense does that, yeah, that make? That makes no sense that is at idioti- all. With the exception of capital long-term capital gains, that's an idiotic statement because it should make no difference if you bought this stock a year ago and are up thirty percent or down thirty percent. Or if you're buying it fresh today, because Mm -hmm. every day you start your portfolio with 100% cash. And if you don't sell, every day you're you're repurchasing every one of your investments that day based on the current price. So if I own a stock in my portfolio, that means that I'm basically saying that I would buy that stock right this second at the current price.
3: Yeah. And to put it another way, the market doesn't care what you paid for the stock. You know what I mean? The only person that cares what you paid for the stock for is you. Yeah, but getting back to his his
2: question, no we're not going to tell you whether to buy or sell American Airlines. What we can tell you is we can help you understand the risk factors and what's going to drive American Airlines up or down. And I think right now it's all about how long this quarantine is going to last and whether the government money is going to bridge them through that period and what kind of penalties the government money is going to come with. Is the administration going to dilute equity shareholders? And if so, how much are they going to dilute them? So if you can't answer those questions, then you can't accurately assess what the risk factors are in owning American Airlines. So you just need to understand that that's what's driving the stock price from going forward. Okay. And and listen, I am no expert on the answers to those questions, but you should at least understand what the drivers are before you get in, before you make your final decision, whether to keep it or to sell it. Okay. That's, that's all I'm going to say.
1: And Pedro wants to know, Chris, why you chose JetBlue over Southwest?
2: Okay. So uh, in the, uh, pay- <laughs> honestly, I didn't sit through, I hate digging through balance sheets. Like that is just such m- meaningless work. And so I let Goldman Sachs do that for us. We, we-, we read a really comprehensive, what was it? Like a 25 page report on airline yeah. uh, balance sheets and which ones were most stable. And they basically had a check, a-, a matrix at the end of this report. And you can see which of the airlines were. Remote, were, were kind of strongest in terms of their balance sheet and were most likely, based on numerous other factors that they probably spent two weeks analyzing to survive this crisis if they mm-hmm. took government money. And I just remember JetBlue, I think, was was uh, Southwest as high as JetBlue? I don't think so. I think they were a little bit under JetBlue in terms of their ability to survive. So I just remember JetBlue being like one of the highest US airlines. That's it. Southwest is right up there though. Southwest was definitely one of the better ones. Uh, but that, that that's what it's based on.
1: Okay. Chris, um, Orlando guy is heavy into financials right now. He's taking a bath right now for sure. Uh, but with business loans guaranteed by the government, will this present a huge upside over the next few years?
2: Uh, I don't know. I don't know. And the reason why I don't know is I don't care about financials. So I don't spend much time thinking about them. Uh, but guys, when we think about finance, if we were forced to answer that question, we're forced to think about it. There's a lot of things that are good with financials and that the government is backing a lot of these loans, right? At the same time, with interest rates coming further down, right, close to zero, that's generally not a good thing for financials, right? Because that means that there's essentially less less margin for them less, to make. Less markup from, on, yeah. Yeah. It, it, so add, so adding,
1: adding 2% to zero is still zero.
2: Yeah, and also the general health, of the economy being negative, being bad, is not a good thing for financials. If you read uh, Jamie Dimon's statement this morning from J.P. Morgan, CEO J.P. Morgan, he had a report that was kind of not flattering yeah. uh, for, for his, his company and, and others. He basically came out and said that this is going to be really, really bad, and he was almost planting the seeds that, hey guys, it just just almost like a covering his butt scenario right this could get really bad we're not really sure how bad this can get and only time will tell how long this lasts and the negative impact it has on financials guys listen Wall Street if they're good at one thing they should they should be good at analyzing themselves right so like I'm not gonna get in that whole game. Of trying to outsmart Wall Street on analyzing the one thing that they should be able to analyze correctly, which is financials. Which is why I never trade financials. Why would you? Why would you go up against Wall Street on the one thing that they have inside information on? Right? It's exactly. Just, it, it's it's not. By the way, they are terrible at analyzing everything else. Right? Consumer staples, retail, all this <laughs> stuff. They're terrible. Believe me, I've been doing this for thirty-two years, and and. They, I can tell you they are the worst. So let's stick at things. I, I like to focus on areas where Wall Street is terrible because that provides opportunities to arbitrage information that institutional investors are slow to react to, right? So um,
1: next question here from big rue forty two speaking of a vaccine, haven't heard mention of j and j today. Are they overvalued now? or is it something to consider for the next six to eighteen months on the upside?
2: Um, I, I, we've talked about this before. Don't yep. you think that as we get closer to seeing light at the end of the tunnel, companies like J and J will start to deflate some of that premium that they've yeah. been trading at.
1: They, they, they're they trading at a premium because they are the defensive stock to me. That's, right. you know, that's why you're in them right now. And I don't, I don't know that they're. Yeah. I, know, I mean, look, there's a good long-term hold for your, for your dividend
3: portfolio like sort of electric surgery or, you know, I mean they, they have supplies for almost every mm. single you know type of surgery that you could do or any type of medical procedure, any of these things. So I think they're taking a hit. Um, and so I mean I, I like J and J, right? I just don't I don't know if this is the right time to jump into it.
2: So our philosophy, guys, is you can make the case for a lot of different stocks, but every time you spend your money on an equity, it's a trade off. It's an opportunity cost because if you spend $10 buying J&J, that's $10 less you have to spend on another company. So it's not that it's a bad company. It's not that it's not a good company to own, but we're all about maximizing our returns at Dumb Money, right? Like we have a track record of, you know, my track record over the last time we talked about this because you should know the track record of the people that you engage with on YouTube and CNBC, CNBC refuses to tell you the track record of anyone uh, that's on that network. But, you know, my track record is, you know, 80, 90% annualized returns over 12, 13, now 14 year period. I've averaged uh, 70 to 90% annualized returns. So we'll see what it shakes out to be after this is over with. Um, And that's been publicly audited and something that I release publicly um, and has been written about. But the only way that you get to those types of returns is you have to, to pick winners, like absolute winner. You can't, you know, you can't be over-diversified. So we are take a lot of risk. We make concentrated investments. We're not invested in 50 companies. We're not invested in just indexes, right? We pick a handful of companies, and that handful of companies is always changing based on what we think is going to outperform during that period of time, which is based on information arbitrage that we're assessing usually off of social channels. We're early detecting trends, early detecting change in consumer behavior, in culture, in technology, right? That's what we do. Um, so J&J, there's nothing that screams out to me this deep into the pandemic that when the stock is already kind of, they're probably up, right? I mean, they're doing pretty well, I would imagine, that there's an arbitrage opportunity in something like J&J, which is why we're not buying it. It doesn't mean there's something anything wrong with it. It just I don't think I'm going to outsize my returns trading J and J here. Yeah. yeah,
1: and they're and they're roaring back from their lows. Um, although there, another commenter made the point that they have a op- opioid, opioid liability risk.
3: Look, they're just a um, dividend stock. You know what I mean? So if you are looking for that dividend and you think it's a good time to jump in, you know, I mean it's it's fine. It's just a it's just a dividend. Yeah, yeah.
2: By the way, guys, when this is all over you know a year from now i can guarantee you that my portfolio will shrink back down to five stocks again right and it'll be five stocks and probably three of them or four of them will be forever stocks and one of them mm-hmm. will be a stock that i'm owning for days to weeks based on our Info arb methodology that we utilize. And that's it. Right now we're expanding it because we want to diversify a little more, because we think there's a lot of opportunities. And, and there's
1: so much info arb opportunities, really. Like every everything that we're talking about are examples of the way we use our normal strategy, but there's just so much going on right now that that we're looking at in sectors that we may not have looked at in the past, like real estate.
2: Oh, Dave, this is a good one though. OMID at a 1208. He wants our thoughts on speculative stocks such as Virgin Galactic, which is a stock that we played around with, right? We, we got in that stock back when it was being pumped. I did I, I, I did. I got it. Hey, I bought a little for the fun of it, okay? I lost money in it, okay? I lost money in my Virgin Galactic trade. It was a very small trade. Um Jeez. Uh, What that like right before this whole meltdown happened, (laughs) yeah, I did. I did. Hey, it's fine, it's such a small trade. Um, we, me and Dave bought uh, SpaceX, we got to SpaceX a few weeks ago. So, I don't need I don't, I have my space company now. That's my space company, too. Right? But here's the thing I want to talk about speculative stocks in general right now. I think for us, at least, this is not the time to speculate because there are, you don't have to speculate. You know, there's no reason to, to be into speculative trades because there are amazing companies that will naturally go up huge when the, if, and when this is over, right? So yeah, the only
1: speculation really is when is that going to be and get in those companies that you wanted to be in anyway. And when this recovers, you have made a great speculation on a a solid company at a discounted price
2: because Dave, otherwise you're speculating on top of speculation. Like first got to speculate that the world is going to get back to normal at some point in the reasonable future. Then you're going to speculate that this company is even going to have, you know, like I am personally, it's not for me. It's not for me right now. I'm not speculating. I'm not speculating. Uh, I'm going with strong best in class names right now. Uh, by the way, guys, I didn't tell you this, uh, but I bought even more Shopify on Thursday or Friday when it yeah, was yeah, down. down I bought, I bought even more. Like, I was just like, I don't care. I'm buying yeah. buy more. I want to say something on that note because, you know, we, we like to be transparent on this channel. Like I hate, when you're watching CNBC and they're like, "Well, I got in this, I got in that," and and they don't tell you how much they got uh, of the stock, so you don't know. Like, great, you bought five dollars of stock. Like, what, what does that matter? Um, you know, when we talk about things, we want you to. We're passionate about it. We want you to know, you know, how much we're behind these trades and how much we lose because we're losing money too, right? It's not just making money. Uh, I am now up to. Uh, In my Shopify, I really love Shopify. I think it is going to get hurt here, but I think it will be one of the best rebound stocks uh, in the market. Where's my shop? Where's my shop? Uh, I own approximately, oh, let's see. I own 2,000 shares of Shopify, okay? Uh, It's about $760,000 of Shopify. Now, Mm -hmm. Dave, we had a comment over the weekend on your channel, and I want to talk about this. Mm the comment it was on hey there, Dave here. By the way, Dave did the coolest video on, on hey there, Dave here. And it was just a quite a Q&A session, basically. But somebody kind of ripped me on Dave's channel. <laughs> they said, This guy is just talking, talking about his big money investments. It's not relatable. But and I don't understand that. I, I don't understand how you know me investing you know a large amount of money in a trade is unrelatable because. It's all proportional, right? So if I'm trading an account, let's call it, uh, you know, something that's close to a $10 million account, and I invest $760,000 in a stock, that's about 7.6% of my trading portfolio, okay? And by the way, understand that I started this with $20,000. So I grew this over the past 14, 15 years with $20,000 into what now is pretty close to an eight-figure account, pretty account. It's all proportional, right? So now you know that I spent 7% of my account on this trade. It doesn't matter. If if, if I had $1,000 in my account, it would be a $70 trade, right? It's that simple. But I want you to understand proportions. And I want you to understand when I talk about something, this this is why I invested. Here's how much I invested. I want you to understand the strategy behind it. Um, I don't want you to replicate the trade or mirror the trade, but I think it's only fair so that when we make a big mistake like we did last year on our startup investment—that uh, startup investment our, our, our tr- on QSR, which was uh, biggest
1: loss of the year, biggest
2: loss of my life uh, in uh, Tim Hortons, Burger King, and, and uh, ah, kids and. Uh, Popeyes. 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 You know, you just I lost it, from your mind. it was
1: so bad, you just had to erase that oh, memory. I
2: hated it, guys. I lost seven hundred fifty thousand uh, dollars on a trade in in six weeks. And Dave, you admit it, you lost what was it? A lot. It was a lot. I won't say. A lot.
1: Three hundred thousand or something.
2: Dave lost three hundred thousand dollars on that same. We lost over a million dollars on one trade, and it hurt really bad. And it's it's the type of trade that, quite honestly. It was like mat. it was a reset for me. I think I stayed in bed for two days and and, <laughs> and I think honestly I it it took, you, it took didn't
1: hear from you at all.
2: It took me a full 30 days to recover and then like 60 days to really recover to where I was getting jazzed again about new opportunities. But that's part of the process, you know, like there is no reward in this world without risk. And what we do, you have to take massive amounts of risk to get rewarded. And we've been doing that i've been doing that actively in the market for a few decades now and i want to be transparent about it and i'm not going to hide that and it, you know I, i'm it, i'm not bragging about how much money we're trading right that's not what this is about i want you guys to understand exactly what we're doing um, and i don't want to hide any of that from you i want to be super transparent and i hope you guys appreciate that and don't take it the wrong way okay and i'll, I'll just i'll just leave it at that so well said uh, Oh, Anything else
1: here Dave fun? Uh, there was a question about um, accredited investors and if we could talk about what that means and uh, talk about the, the process, the status kind of, kind of goes to your, your point about talking about these larger portfolios and, and once you have accredited investor status, you can invest in certain things that you wouldn't have access to um, before. Um, Oh, that's
2: that's more of a core Dub Money uh, startup uh, channel question. Yeah, I mean, guys,
1: we probably should do an episode on that on the original channel just because that.
2: uh, Yeah. Can you hear me? You just mute us. OK. Yeah. You need to be accredited to invest in most startups. Uh, So you have to say that you're accredited, meaning you have to earn a certain amount of income in the prior year or have a certain net worth, liquid net worth. I think it's over, I don't know,
3: a quarter million or a million bucks, something like you, that. I think you need. The net worth is a million, The income is like, it depends 200,
1: on. 200,000. Yes. 200,000 for the previous two years or 300,000 for joint income. And then it's a million dollars net worth.
3: Yeah.
2: So if, if you're not accredited or if you don't say you're accredited, then a startup investment is not allowed to, or not legally permitted to allow you to invest. I mean, it's just, I hate that rule. I think it's disgusting. I think yeah. it is, it cheats regular people out of some of the best investments we have in, in, in our economy, which are early stage investments where you can make 20, 50, 100 times your money. And I think it's just wrong. They'll let you buy tobacco. They'll let you buy beer. You can buy a big screen TV. You You can go on vacation. You can buy a lottery ticket. You can do anything you want with your money. You can throw your money away, but you cannot invest your money in a startup company if you're not already wealthy. It's disgusting. Um, Anyway... Uh, by the way, I, I also
1: talk about that on my new video over on Hey There Dave here, and uh, I disclose that I used to check the boxes saying I was accredited long before I was actually accredited. <laughs>
2: um, by the way, someone asked Chris, have you put money into your account from that twenty thousand point? Actually, the account I think was eighty six thousand, but I only used twenty thousand of it in my info arbitrage methodology. But it's grown from eighty six thousand to. Uh, I've taken most money out of it. I haven't, it's not that I haven't put money in it. It's been net negative over the past 15 years, meaning I've taken a lot of money out, but I did just get a, an audit done recently. And I think the audit came out to, if I had never taken money out of it uh, over the past 12, 13 years, it would have grown to, I think 44 million. So 86,000 to 44 million over the past 13 years, uh, if I didn't take money, but I had to buy a house and I have a family and uh, you know, I don't spend a lot of money on stuff, but you when you know it's life, right? So yeah, and taxes, taxes, right? is usually what most of the money came out for. But I do want you guys to understand that this channel is about starting small. It's about starting really small because all three of us started really, really, really small. We had day jobs. We had normal jobs like everybody else. I was a sales guy. I used to sell cars, okay? <laughs> I, I sold cars for yeah. years. I sold BMW, I sold Lexus. Uh, at Beverly Hills Lexus and BMW here in Dallas. I, sold, I bought uh, my
1: BMW from you.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I used to sell Toyotas, guys. I used to sell cars in, in the Valley of LA. Um, I was broke in trading options and selling cars to pay my rent. I would lever out my credit cards just to trade options back then. I was the worst investor ever <laughs> back then. But uh, anyway... But that's how you learn. You have that's, to make mistakes, really,
1: to learn. And it was expensive, but uh, I think that you, you're glad that you did that, even though it did cost you money when you were a kid.
2: Uh, by the way, this is an interesting uh, that messy Asian dude at twelve twenty-two. Uh,
1: I love the <laughs> name. Uh,
2: he goes, you know, he knows that we we dislike Chinese stocks. We do. We dislike. We don't dislike the companies. We we dislike the regulation. Okay. We just don't. You never know when you're investing in a Chinese stock what you're yeah. investing in. So, uh, you know, he's saying that Tencent's been buying up a lot of companies and contributing to the tech side that can have been contributing to the tech side of the virus. I, I don't care. I, I don't even trust Tencent. I, I I don't trust the regulation of Tencent. And I at this point, there's too many great Amer- are now down 30, 40, 50 percent for me to start worrying about a Chinese company that could end up being the next, I know Tencent's not going to be the next uh, Luke and coffee because they're bigger than that, but they could be. I mean, it, stranger things have yeah. happened, right?
1: Or, or trying to find the next Tencent, you know, trying to win yeah. through the uh, smaller companies and see who's going to be big. It's, it's, there's just so many other opportunities out there right now that...
3: Yeah, and if you want exposure to China, just look for a big international company that is looking to expand their business further into China. So... Oh, gosh. Oh, all, like all
2: these big American companies... Listen, yeah, I'm not. There are too many opportunities in America to worry about China, uh, Chinese companies. So it's just not for us. Not for us. Um, Oh, let's have a dumb money meetup conference. The Four Seasons in Irving. When this is over, like VidCon, I would, I would love to do. I'm actually going to be. I think I might be uh, uh, speaking at the Benzinga conference, the trading conference this year again. But they're going to do a virtually now. They're not doing a real – obviously, they're going to do it virtually. I think it's this yeah, month. When is that? Uh, I, I think it's in a few weeks. i got to connect with them to see if they still want me to speak. But if not, uh, listen, we'll we'll do something, guys. We'll. we'll I would love to do – wouldn't that be cool to have a face-to-face? Maybe in – It fa- would be. In ve- in ve- well, we'll talk about it on Thursday. Maybe in Vegas. Uh, we, we, we'll <laughs> want <to> talk about <laughs> uh, after this is all over with. It, it, it'd be super cool. Uh, what else we got here, guys? Anything interesting? Um.
1: Oh, I see. want to talk about
2: op- options. I know we're going to talk about options next week, but one thing I want to tell everyone here is: be very careful if you're trading options, because we're if volatility starts to come down right over the next few weeks, yeah. your option premiums are going to get crushed. So even if the stock you're trading or the market doesn't, you know, it kind of settles down and does not move against you. You could still get crushed just from the premium. The yeah, option just, premium, just from the
1: time you're you're up against the clock every single day. You're in an option, and your value of your premium, if you're if you've bought a call or a put, you're you're getting closer to zero as that. But clock not takes but up.
2: not just not just that, Dave. The the option premium. Yeah, you get, move. You get, you get the them. volatility. Yeah. yeah. So so like even if even if no time goes by, the overnight the option premium can get crushed just from the volatility coming down. So now people are not willing to pay as much premium for that option that was worth whatever it was yesterday yeah. so we're not trading options right now you guys, you guys don't own any do you no yeah nothing, we took a we took a break from nothing options.
1: substantial other than other than as a an other way to get long into a stock that i might want to anyway either selling a put or, or buying a call yeah
2: no agree without having
1: to tie up money if the market were to crater another 50 percent, i've capped my losses on on those um you know Amazon options. I, I think I still have some uh, Amazon calls and some Shopify calls, both companies that I would like to own, but I bought calls instead of just buying the stock because you never know what could happen to this market.
2: Uh, Dave, do you, um, oh, by the way, I do want to get the P-Life Cruiser at 12.15, uh, but Dave, you got me so excited about Roku last week. We were talking about Roku back and forth. I bought more Roku. Did at you? The sa- at the same time, I bought more Shopify. So I'm like, <laughs> ah, screw it. I'm, I'm getting more Roku. Uh, th- this guy has a great comment. Um, what, where'd it go? 12, 1215 12, 12, uh, Life Cruiser, P. Life Cruiser. Um, having just slammed hold stocks, you're now mentioning forever stocks, drinks on you, Chris. So listen, it's- it, There's it, a it,
1: difference it, between a hold stock and a forever stock. Yeah. A forever stock is a stock that you would you would want to buy every single day, whether it's up or whether it's down. You know that this stock is one that you want
2: more of. And let me explain why. Uh, When we say forever stock, it's because we think the market perpetually is behind on that stock. What that means is that the market is perpetually behind valuing that stock correctly. So even as the market continues to increase the value of that stock, that company is doing even better now and the market's always catching up. So there's certain stocks That the market just refuses to believe that Amazon will be as big as we all, dumb money, have always thought it can be, right? So we've been invested in Amazon and levered mostly in Amazon for seven years now. And we just keep doubling that. I know some people feel the same way about Tesla. Not me, but some people feel the same way about Tesla. Some people feel the same way about Apple. I'm actually one of those guys on Apple. Uh, I actually kind of left Apple for a little while. Now I'm back in. But the market just is always underappreciating the innovation, always underappreciating where the management team is taking that company, the vision for that company. So those are what we feel forever stocks are. Like you could even theoretically say that Disney is one of those because Disney is going to continue to innovate and create new value on top of the content chain. And while the, the, you know, the, the market will bring Disney up and down, that they'll, in perpetuity, be undervaluing what they're going to do next year and the year after that and the year after that. So that's what we mean when we say forever stock. It's not really a forever stock. It's a stock that we feel for the next five years, five to eight years, is likely to continue to outperform what investors think about that stock, right? And so they'll always be catching up to it, where we feel like we're ahead of it. Like we see the vision and we're ahead of it. That's it.
1: A question that uh, I don't know if you did your research, Chris, but uh, on our last episode, you said you were going to look into FLIR systems. Did you look into that? (sighs) They're up 12.5% so far today.
2: My bad, and I'm paying for it. My bad, (laughs) and I'm paying for it. I'm going to mark FLIR again right now, and I I promise I will look into that for one of our next couple of shows. The longer it takes... The longer te- I did, the longer it takes me to look it up. The more money I'll lose if I decide to ultimately invest in it. Uh, I look at. Wait, remind me which one Fleeter was, guys? Can you tell me what's the name of that? What's their business?
1: FLIR. It is. Are, are, are
2: they the ones that have the temperature? The temperature reader. The,
1: um, I believe so. They're okay, aerospace yeah. and defense category. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. So we need. I need to determine if their temperature reader is potentially a needle mover for the company in the event that the government kind of mandates that every restaurant and business and sports stadium and company starts taking temperatures of people every day so that, you know, if you feel if your thesis is that's going to happen, that FLIR would be a good trade. I don't know that it is a good trade because I don't know, is that 1% of the revenue? Could it grow to 5% or 10%? Or is it something that's always going to be small? Um, By the way, someone just, I think we just kind of answered this question, but they said, Chris, when you're that bullish on a stock like Shopify, why not buy calls instead of shares? Well, normally we do buy options when we're that uh, bullish on a stock. The reason why we're not buying a lot of options right now, we just explained this, is the option premiums are exceptionally high because of volatility. So we would rather just buy a ton of equity. Because we actually have the ability to do that now. And we have access to margin accounts. So we've Mm -hmm. negotiated good interest rates. Like I've negotiated a a better interest rate on my margin account with TD Ameritrade than they normally give. So are you um, on margin right now? I am on margin. (laughs) I've I've been in margin, Dave, for two weeks, a week and a half. So I am at, uh, uh, let's see. Uh, 25% margin. So basically I've exceeded, I'm at 125% of my uh, wow. my cash. Yeah. So I I know it's still, it's a little dangerous, but, it, and by the way, that's why I'm watching the market as closely as I am, because I could pull back or put a short hedge on really quickly. If I see things start to turn sour and, but I just, I can't, I love Dave. I'm so excited about some of my long positions, whether it's, you know, whether it's Shopify, whether it's Amazon, whether it's, you know, by the way, you know, I've been buying those Amazon calls. That's the one. Oh, that's the one. Yeah. That's the one uh, option I have is I have calls on Amazon. I've been buying every week. Okay. At Mm $1,800 strike price. Uh, I exercised one of them last week and I now have double the Amazon. Okay. So I now have 2000 shares. Was it 2000 shares of Amazon straight up? And I'm committing to myself that I'm going to keep that basically forever. We'll we'll, we'll see. As long as Amazon doesn't deploy me. And I'm still buying options on Amazon.
1: Yeah. And this is Amazon chart year to date. It's all over the map. But halfway recovered to its all-time highs.
2: Oh, this is a good one. Uh, Danny H., thoughts on Elf. You know, Danny follows a lot of our former trades. And he knows that Elf was one of our biggest trades in 2019. That's Elf Cosmetics. Uh, Danny, I don't own any Elf cosmetics right now. And so when you think about Elf, they market themselves almost exclusively, almost exclusively through pharmacies and through Target, right? And so I just feel like the cosmetics companies right now are, are girls buying a lot of cosmetics right now. I, I don't know. They're certainly not going in store to buy cosmetics. I don't know if Elf has a strong enough e-commerce distribution platform for me to like Elf, even as a cosmetics play right now. So Elf, as you know, was a speculative trade for us. And I'm trying not to speculate on the underlying company in addition to speculating on this whole pandemic. So for that reason, we're staying away from Elf for now. Nothing against it. It's just not a trade that we're taking well, right guess,
3: now. I mean, I would guess that their sales are down, right? Because uh, I think women are using less cosmetics right now in general. You're not going out, you're not doing anything.
2: But also, Jordan, on top of that, like most of Elf sales were girls going into the pharmacy, into Target, and buying it off the shelf because it's like you're just uh, you're just buying buying cosmetics. It's cheap. They're like eight dollar cosmetics, nine bucks, ten bucks, twelve bucks are really cheap. It doesn't really cater to like e-commerce, you know what I'm saying? So like, I I, I don't I, I don't love it. Let me see here.
1: Uh, any thoughts on Zillow? Apparently, it's up big today, but I think just the market is up big today. The
2: uh, yeah. Dow
1: is up five percent. The S and up more than five percent.
2: I'm not messing with Zillow, period, man. I think that company scares me. Scares me to no end. Oh, guys, I just thought, you know what I think might be a really good bounce-back trade? I want to do some analysis on this. You know, one of the hottest stocks the last few years, Match.com. They basically own 80% of the dating landscape. Don't you think that coming out of this, people are going to want to, like, just date on steroids, right? right? They've been cooped up in their houses for six months, three months, whatever it ends up being. Don't you think they're going to have quite the resurgence? So they, wow, what a buy that would have been down at 45 bucks. This is an, even here in the mid-60s, I don't know. It's it's interesting, right? Can you, Dave, can you pull a five-year for me? Let's just take, let's look at the five-year. Unmatch. Yeah, they are Crockett. You're right. They are based here in in Dallas, so I guess Dave popped off. So, so something happened to Dave's line. So match is really interesting. It's just like it's a trend that just ha- sees no end. It just keeps getting hotter and hotter and hotter. And they have some comp. They have some competition now uh, in Bumble and a couple of the other ones, but. Man, Match has really figured out how to monetize that dating platform. Someone just mentioned uh, Tinder Gold. Tinder Gold has been strong for five years. Yeah, I mean, they're doing such a good, good job monetizing all of their dating platforms. And that's why the stock just went on a massive, massive run this last year, right before all this started. Gosh, to be able to get that at 45 bucks, I want to shoot myself. For not picking up some match at the low right there because that's yeah. like such a defensible play and you know it's coming back right so it's a
1: stock yeah it's a stock that you would want to own anyway and way way down from 90 to under 50.
2: I'm writing it down right I'm writing it down right now because it's another one I'm gonna spend some time on and I meant to this week and just got sidetracked
1: so are people doing uh online virtual dating right now is that is that a new thing?
3: I, I've heard one or two news stories about this, and I think they are. So that's what I'm wondering. Do, do you think people are canceling their match accounts right now, or do you think they're uh, – Are, they, been, just, are they, they
1: just Zoom, Zoom bomb- bombing and hoping to find <laughs> a happy hour that they like?
3: Yeah, or something, right? I think,
2: Jordan, if they're doing any type of dating through Zoom or whatever, you still have to meet the person. You're going to meet them I'm through match. right? But
3: what I'm saying is that, like, do you think they're canceling their accounts right now, or do you think they're keeping them open just so that they can – Continue to meet people. And have-
1: um, I think most of what you do on Match and Tinder is like online. The actual right. meeting in person is is not. The, you know, it's it's that's the end goal, but the game
2: is like chatting with a bunch of new people
3: so you can keep that game going why not it's not crazy expensive what's match like 40 bucks a month or something i don't know
2: yeah they can keep they can keep it going and all these people are getting government money by the way so it's not like they don't have money to continue on match for the most part once they get those government checks now they might have canceled though and i I don't have any listen i haven't researched it i want to research match this week and i want to contemplate a trade because i love the company but it was just always i was always behind on it i was too late on it and now is I, i might actually consider it uh oh.
1: g uh, uh zoom date is a g trending topic seriously according to nolan and apparently leon has been on a uh zoom date
2: yeah yeah we're the worst because we're not in this world but i see a lot of it it's, it's a lot of what we study on social and honestly i've been meaning it to, to match for a while okay what Our else Match on all of them
1: tender hinge okay cupid
2: uh, you know, someone's talking about one of our favorite oldie stocks at 1235 Pedro Fizz. Um, this is what uh, what they call it, American beverages. It's LaCroix. LaCroix. I hate the company. We invested in it. We were one of the very first to get in on LaCroix. Rode it up from like 30 to 120. I love the drink. Uh, you love the drink. Uh, I, I have been out of LaCroix for a long time. I'm not buying in. I, yeah, they, their sales might be up for a small period of time, but they have so much competition coming so at most, them right well, now.
3: Pepsi's in this thing. I mean, they, they're getting, they getting, they're going to
2: get, they're going to get squeezed. That's a company I would consider shorting if it got high enough um, coming out of this.
1: So, uh, and, and Pepsi's a company that I, um, I think I have a little, just in my dividend portion of my portfolio, but I I like Pepsi long-term, and especially as people are cooped up and
3: eating a bunch of junk food and having
1: it delivered from their grocery store.
3: I just, I can't get past people drinking sodas right now. It's like smoking to me. It blows my mind. Yeah. Like the LaCroix or the, you know, bubbly from Pepsi, I can see. But, you know, these big sugary drinks, I I don't know. Someone asked about that semiconductor
2: ETF I bought, uh, Thomas Mathis 1239, why not buy shares from five companies? It's because I have no intention, Thomas, on of, of being in that semiconductor ETF for any period of time. I felt like the semiconductor ETF was... It was, it, was, it, was a, you know, it was one of the stocks I thought would, would bounce back pretty strong here. It'd be kind of one of the leaders coming out of this. And I just, I'm not going to be in that thing very long. I don't want to do my research on semiconductors.
1: Yeah. And, and generally, that's why I use ETFs. Chris is like the active researcher trader. I'm more of the, what's the easier way to find a group of the top semiconductors? It's an ETF that's tracking some index that might generally outperform picking that one company.
2: Yeah, normally I will never ever buy an ETF, which is not what I do. It's the opposite of what I do, right? But um, let's see Nespresso. What do you guys think of going long Nespresso? I know nothing about Nespresso, but Jordan, that's your deal. What do you think?
3: They're owned by Nestle, right? So Nestle yeah. company. So you have to you have to buy an ADR, or you have to you know buy the foreign um, stock. So you know, I mean, I I think I, I like Nespresso, but. I drink
1: an espresso or two every day.
2: Yeah. Uh, Again, this gets back into consumer staples. We're not investing in consumer staple stocks right now because Mm. we feel that that trade is crowded. Um, It would have been a pretty good trade at the very impetus of this pandemic, but we're past it. So we're not trading consumer staple stocks at this point in time. Also, if we look well beyond this pandemic we love investing in small early stage companies that are disrupting that market that would eventually get acquired by, you know, people like Nestle. So we're making yeah. a lot of investments in early stage food companies. Um, you know, me and Jordan's cauliflower uh, pizza dough company called outer Isle. Uh, We're actually starting our own better for food company this year that we're, we're financing exclusively. So I, I just think that these guys are old dinosaurs and I'm just, I'd rather be invested in the startups in that space.
1: And then be bought by the old dinosaurs. It would be great if Pepsi were to buy our startup. And you'll learn more about that on our main channel, Dumb Money.
2: Guys, by the way, I am investing in this fund. I sent you the email and you never sent anything back. So you you could invest as well if you want. It's 100K minimum. Which fund? Uh, but <laughs> I, it's a fund. Those guys, out of, those guys out of Santa Barbara, that they are investing. Their first investment is essentially the jewel, no, no, like jewel smokeless, like the jewel of chewing tobacco. Okay. And I've done so much research on this startup. We'll talk about it on a future dumb money. It is so hot, hot, hot. It's like an $8 billion industry here in the U S and I think they're going to take over. So like I said, that's the stuff that excites us when it comes. I'm not into like buying Coke and Pepsi and, and, these big consumer staple companies, we're going to invest in the early stage companies where we can make 30, 40, 50 times our money. Uh, Blue apron. That's
1: one that um, I haven't really looked into, but I, I and I'm not sure it's, if it's the same one, but I saw in a TV commercial the other day for one of these um, tobacco products that I hadn't, I hadn't seen before. I wonder if it's the same one.
2: Yeah, Fernando, twelve forty one. Mark Anthony Brands. They make White Claw. They're, they're they're private. We cannot invest in Mark Anthony Brands. I tried to back when White Claw first came out. The uh, Blue Apron. Do you want to short it? I would potentially short Blue Apron. Yes, I, I I haven't I haven't yet. I've thought about it, and I'm going to mark it down right now. We'll talk about that later this week.
1: I'll add that to my list to remind you.
2: <laughs> I think Blue Apron is a terrible company. I think that when this is over, uh, they will continue to do terrible again. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, I I cannot stand Blue Apron. I would consider shorting them. Anything else you want to talk about, guys? Because we only have uh, we got to get back to trading. And I'm also getting calls from Lynn, which tells me that something might be wrong with my application for government money at Chelsea Corner. So <laughs> We're submitting all these docs. We should we should have
1: him join in so we can talk about the the pro the process there.
2: Yeah. My computer
1: seems like it's completely stopping. I don't know if you guys can still hear me. Guys,
2: one last thing I want to talk about. uh, Thoughts on oil plays uh, which with the deal coming up. Again, we don't trade financials and we don't trade oil stocks. We don't know anything about them. And also this oil trade, it's a binary thing. It can go either way. You're dealing with the Russians and the Saudi Arabians and Donald Trump. Man, what a... Future, I'm out. (laughs) Wait, what a trifecta. A negotiation between the Russians and Donald Trump And Saudi Arabia and a bunch of oil execs. If they don't agree,
3: you lose tons of money. What could possibly go wrong? (laughs) No, hey,
2: in all seriousness, that is one of the storylines that I'm following very closely. Because if the oil deal does fall apart, I will quickly move to put on a much stronger hedge on my portfolio with my SPY short position. So, so I actually
3: prepared my account to do the exact same thing over the weekend. I, you know, I got, uh, I got my margin account going so I can do a big, uh, spy short if, uh, that falls apart.
2: Okay. Ju- just in case.
3: Yeah. So I, th- that's something that we're watching
2: very cool. It's one of the three legs to the stool that we talked about earlier. Um, Dave, are you back? Are you going? Who, who is? What is that? Something weird. Oh, this is Dave. Dave's back. Okay. Now Jordan. I, gonna... I don't know. All right, we're back. Dave, I think it's I think it's time. Uh oh one last question. Austin, 1245. Can you walk us through given the experience in a restaurant bar? Can you walk us through the unwinding of the business like these going under? Landlords screwed, and what's your sentiment around this happening nationwide? I, I let's address this one question because I have been talking to a lot of restaurant owners because we're restaurant owners to see what they're doing. Uh, We are paying our rent. Okay. So we have not stopped paying. You're paying your rent, Dave, as well, right? Yes, But But I'll tell you what the unwinding is looking like. We're getting phone calls from other restaurant owners. They're looking to sell their restaurant. Uh, They are not paying their rent. The ones that are doing really well have basically worked deals with their landlords to say, hey, we're getting government money. We are. I'm getting government money for my restaurant. We will use that government money to pay rent to make sure that we don't screw you. In exchange, landlords are likely to get government subsidies and tax credits this year. Okay. We want you to take those tax credits, Mr. Landlord, and lower our rent next year based on those tax. So if you save $50,000 on our building in tax credits, I want you to reduce my rent next year by $50,000. So I have worked that deal with my landlord and other restaurant owners have worked the deals with their landlords. Now, if that doesn't happen, if you're a weak restaurant and you're not able to maintain through this process, the government will give us money for about six for this loan. You have enough money if you manage it correctly to last 60 days. Beyond that, you're on your own. So I think what's going to happen is the government's going to give us more money. Okay, If the government does not give us more money, restaurants are just going to start folding all over the place. And the way that they will unfold is, first, they won't pay their rent. They won't pay any of their bills. So companies like Cisco, I'm shorting Cisco right now. Not Cisco, the tech company. Cisco, the food company. I'm shorting them because they have an enormous amount of receivables. And I don't think any of these restaurants are paying Cisco. Not any. I don't think a lot of them are choosing not to pay their bills with Cisco, and I think that's at risk. I'm not sure the market is fully accounted for that. Um, so they won't pay their bills. They'll lay off. Listen, it's real easy to lay off service workers because most restaurants don't even care about their service workers to begin with. We do, but a lot of them are just like you know they come and go anyway. They'll lay them off and they'll close the restaurant down. No one, no one gets paid. Cisco doesn't get paid. The landlord doesn't get paid. I think most of these restaurants will take at least a year, right, to, to release. Don't you imagine? because it's not going to be take at least a year, uh, which is why we're not investing in REITs in that space. So that's it. Are you getting the SBA loan and keeping your employees? Yes, we are getting the SBA loan, and we are trying to retain almost all of our employees. Now, we have a lot of our employees that prefer to take unemployment because the unemployment is so high. It's 600 a week from the feds plus a few hundred a week from the state. We have... uh, waiters that are making a 1000 bucks a week on unemployment. So they're like, hey, we want to do that. We can't stop them from doing that. Um, But we're trying to retain all of our employees, at least at our our bar and and restaurant right now. And we're doing the same. So, um, oh, this is great. Nolan, thank you. Those are great tags. Uh, Dave, before I keep saying we're gonna shut off, but like, I think I do want to pull up this tag, Blue Apron Cancel. Is, I, can't, I
1: can't pull up anything. If you okay. can share your screen, go I, for
2: okay, it. I, I, my computer,
1: I, 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 I think what happened today is my computer was uh, not plugged in, and my battery got down to like 2%, and then it just shut me off. Um, so I'm now plugged in, but it seems to be running at like half speed.
2: Okay, let me just see if, uh, let me see if there's even anything to really pull up. Guys, this is so great, because like Blue Apron is definitely one where you can look at a tag like blue apron cancel on google trends just as a search term and at and when you see it starting to tick up if it is ticking up that is certainly validation and my computer's super slow now too it's certainly validation that blue apron is going to fall apart now I sh- what is blue apron stock doing even let's see if you check on your phone I think it already came down quite a bit, if I recall. Blue Apron cancel. It's not ticking up yet, guys. So I'm going to watch it. We'll do some more research on Blue Apron. We'll get back to you guys on Thursday. We have the best show coming up on Thursday. It's the Roaring 2020s. It's what we think is- The Roaring 20s are back. And they're back. And there are so many companies that are not just going to thrive. They're going to kill it. We think there are some companies that are actually going to have the best years, the best months and years of the entire company, of their entire history, starting in mid-2021. Now, there's some risk involved, but we want to talk about all those companies. We want to get ahead of this because if if you wait until June to think about this, you're going to be way too late. You want to start thinking about this right now. Who are the companies that are going to be part of the roaring 2020s? Okay. Okay. And
1: that on our next episode, Thursday, same time, same channel.
2: Please, please remember to give us the thumbs up and to like this episode. It's really important for the YouTube algorithm guys. We super appreciate
1: it. We also have two channels for you to subscribe to and thumbs up both dumb money and dumb money live. I have another channel. Hey there, Dave here. I just had a new video come out. It's basically the financial advice that I wish people had given to me. So it's it's a good one. It's it's perfect for staying at home and binge watching because it's like almost 30 minutes long. Some uh, vintage footage of both of you guys uh, show up in the episode. So I love
2: it. I love check it. Check
1: that out. Thanks you guys so much for watching. Stay home, stay safe. I've got to hopefully be able to end this thing. I, I don't even know. My computer is like crawling. I don't even know if you can see me right now.
2: We can. We can. Okay, good.
1: We're done. money. We'll see you next time. <laughs>